This message was presented at the DYC 2013 conference, Before Man and Angels, in Orlando, Florida. For other resources like this, visit us online at www.dycweb.org. Well, good morning, everyone. Welcome again to our seminar on the book, The Great Controversy. And before I have an opening prayer, I'm just going to give you a a little roadmap of what we're doing this morning. Brian and I are going to actually switch halfway through. Um, I'm going to do the first 30 minutes on the loud cry final warning message, and then he's going to do the last 30 minutes on the time of trouble. And then tomorrow we'll also split 30 minutes um, on our Sabbath afternoon presentation. So that just, so you know, when you see Brian coming up halfway through the presentation, that's a planned switch, so don't be worried by that. Okay. Let's go ahead and bow our heads for a word of prayer, and we will get right into our message for this morning. Father in heaven, thank you so much for being with us here at GYC. And again, I want to pray for every single seminar presenter that's speaking right now. And I pray that you will be with all of us, and I pray that you would be with us here in this room. Give me and Brian the words to speak to your people this morning. May our hearts be opened up to the message that we need to hear for this time. This is my prayer in Jesus' name, amen. So our seminar title this morning is Standing Through the Final Crisis. And as I said yesterday, I just want to say again, I am thankful to be a Seventh-day Adventist. And I am thankful to be a Seventh-day Adventist at this point of Earth's history. If you look at the scope of the great controversy, if you look at the scope of the entire Bible, what Martin Luther or John Wycliffe or Ellen White and some of those people wouldn't have done to have been living in our day? And are we taking advantage of the opportunities that God has given us? And so our mess, what I'm sharing on is the earth's final warning, which is the loud cry message. And I might say this as well. The loud cry message, which is seen in Revelation chapter 18, is the purpose for which Adventism exists. The book of Revelation is trying to paint the picture of how God is raising up an end-time movement that will eventually reach a point where they will give a message that lightens the earth with its glory. That's why we exist. Now, as important as whatever jobs we may have and the education that you're getting right now, as important as all of that is, nothing compares to the importance of the message that God has given to us that it's supposed to go to the whole world. That is the purpose for which we exist, and we are going to study that message here in the next few minutes the loud cry message. And I'm going to start from Great Controversy with a quote where Ellen White quotes Revelation chapter 18, verses 1, 2, and 4. And here's the statement. I saw another angel come down from heaven having great power, and the earth was lightened with his glory, and he cried mightily with a strong voice, saying, Babylon the great is fallen, is fallen, and has become the habitation of devils and the hold of every foul spirit and a cage of every unclean and hateful bird. And I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, that ye be not partakers of her sins and that ye receive not of her plagues. 
Going back, here we see this angel coming down from heaven, having great power. The earth is lightened with his glory, and this glory represents God's character. Exodus 34, Moses says, Lord, show me your glory. And the Lord made all of his goodness and mercy pass before Moses. Now notice, this angel has the character of God, and it also has God's power character and power. And here is this important combination that Adventism needs today. You know, you'll go to 10-day prayer sessions on praying for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit and keep doing that. But one of the things that we need to be praying for is not just for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, but is for the impartation of the character of Christ into our lives. Because God will never give his latter rain power to people who do not have his character. So many times we want God's power, but we don't want his character. And God is saying, I will give you my power when you have my character. And that is what Adventism is supposed to be doing at this time. That's what God is waiting for in his people. He is going to give his latter rain power when his people have his character. Christ's object lesson 69, when the character of Christ shall be perfectly reproduced in his people, then he will come to claim them as his own. So here we see a time when the earth is going to be lightened, or as some versions say, illuminated with the glory or the character of God. This is the loud cry message of Revelation chapter 18. And when you look at the big picture of Revelation, What's the title of the book, Revelation? It's the revelation of Jesus Christ. Well, here's the thing. This is when Jesus is most fully revealed in the book of Revelation to this point in history. Then when you get to Revelation 14, which is further down in history on Mount Zion in heaven, that's a full revelation of Jesus with the 144,000. But here you see the revelation of Jesus Christ through God's last day church who go out to give the loud cry message to the world. They have the character of Christ and they have his power. Isn't that what you want to be part of? That is what God has raised us up to be. Again, you may be doing all sorts of other important things, but the purpose for your existence today is to give the loud cry message to the world. And hopefully that's going to be sometime very soon. Now notice, what's interesting is that God's people go forth throughout the world with the power of God, with great power, and the earth is lightened with his glory, so his character is being shown to the world. The, the light of his character is shining to the world through God's people. They have his love, they have his mercy, they have his grace, they have his character, and they are giving a message very loudly and clearly. And those of you in the back, come on in. There's plenty of seats over here in the front left, over in the front right. Just come on in. There's plenty of room. <clears throat> and notice this message. So they have God's character. They have God's power. But notice the message that they are giving with clarity. They say... Babylon the great is fallen, is fallen, and has become the habitation of devils and the hold of every foul spirit and a cage of every unclean and hateful bird. Now, does that sound like a message of love and mercy? 
You know, most of the world today would say that's a message of intolerance and hate. And let me tell you something. I don't know how much longer we as Seventh-day Adventists are going to be able to give the messages that we're giving before the mainstream media starts accusing us of being a bunch of intolerant bigots. It's amazing that we haven't been exposed, if you will, yet. I mean, before long, we're going to be accused of being anti-Catholic and you name it. And here's the thing, the loud cry message is going to go out with great power. The earth is going to be lightened with its glory. And the message is going to be Babylon the Great is fallen, is fallen. And not only that, it's become the habitation of devils, the hold of every foul spirit and a cage of every unclean and hateful bird. And we know who Babylon is here. It says is fallen, is fallen. This is the fall of on papal church and it's the fallen Protestant churches. So when this message goes out, it's going to go to the whole world and we're going to say that the devil has overtaken these churches. Do you think that's going to be a popular message? Listen, if we're afraid to preach the truth now, it's not as if suddenly God's going to pour out his latter rain and then suddenly we're going to say, oh, okay, now I have the courage to identify who Babylon is. No, God is developing his character in us now and as we're developing his character, we're willing to preach the truth straight. The truth as it is in Jesus now. The truth as the Bible outlines it. We're not afraid to identify who the man of sin is in Scripture. We're not afraid to identify what the Bible clearly teaches. Now, if we're afraid to do so now, don't think that you're suddenly going to receive the power of the Holy Spirit to then say, oh yeah, Babylon has fallen and is the hold of every foul spirit in a cage of every unclean and hateful bird, and that's where the devils habitate. So now is the time to get connected to Christ so that you will have the courage to speak the truth in love but with power. Because this message will go forth with great power, with the glory or the character of Christ, which means it will be done so with love, but it's going to be, going to be given mightily. Now, here you see that Ellen White has something to say about this. This is Great Controversy 603. She's quoted this passage and she says this scripture points forward to a time when the announcement of the fall of Babylon as made by the second angel of Revelation 14 verse 8 is to be repeated with the additional mention of the corruptions which have been entering the various organizations that constitute Babylon since that message was first given in the summer of 1844. A terrible condition of the religious world is here described. Now listen, it's time to start, stop sugarcoating the reality of the religious world and its condition. Now is not the time for Seventh-day Adventists to be trying to line up with the methodologies and teachings of Babylon. Because we are trying to call people out because that system of thinking is going to prepare people for the mark of the beast. And you look at what Revelation 18 is saying. It's become the habitation of devils, the hold of every foul spirit and a cage of every unclean and hateful bird. Brian showed a slide yesterday at a promise keepers convention where there's a picture of an evil angel that showed up on a flash um, photography that they caught on an image. I mean, and you look at the foolishness that's going on and the charismatic movement and the drums and the dancing and all 
all that kind of stuff that drowns out the moving of the Holy Spirit. Brothers and sisters, that's Babylon. And now is not the time for God's remnant church to be running towards Babylon to say, hey, maybe if we introduce Babylonian methodology, we can grow our churches. Listen, we don't need to be growing churches with people who have Babylonian mentality. I'd rather see Babylonian mentality walk out of our churches so that we can raise up truth-seeking people that are ready to go forth to give a loud cry. And one of the reasons why we have so much trouble in our churches is that we have unconsecrated members who want to gain the approval and the approbation of the world. And so they lower the standard so that we can get more people to join the ranks. And it looks like God is doing a great work when in reality we're simply following the methods of Babylon. Now listen, I'm not saying that God's church is Babylon, please understand that clearly. This is God's remnant church, but Satan is attacking God's remnant church. And this is a repetition of the second angel's message. When you look at the three angels' messages of Revelation 14, the first angel cries with a loud voice. Then the second angel just announces that Babylon has fallen, has fallen. Then the third angel cries with a loud voice. But then the second angel cries with a loud voice finally in Revelation 18 under the power of the loud cry. And so the three angels' messages initially are more of a proclamation, but the loud cry of Revelation is not only a proclamation, it's a demonstration. We are still in the proclamation phase of the three angels' messages. We are going out and proclaiming the everlasting gospel. We proclaim that Babylon has fallen. We're proclaiming that the mark of the beast is coming and that God's people will keep the commandments of God, have the patience of the saints and the faith of Jesus. But we're still proclaiming it. But God is working to develop his character in our lives so that not only will we give the proclamation, but that in Revelation 18, we will be the demonstration. And we cannot be the demonstration if we're partaking of the spirit of Babylon. You really think that when people go out and give the loud cry message, they're going to be dancing and jerking across the pulpit as they give the loud cry message? I don't think so. They're not going to be shooting out some Christian rap and whatever. No, that's not going to be happening. They're going to be giving the truth as it is in Jesus. Great Controversy 605. The Sabbath will be the great test of loyalty. For it is the point of truth especially controverted. When the final test shall be brought to bear upon men, then the line of distinction will be drawn between those who serve God and those who serve him not. So why is the Sabbath the great test of loyalty? Why do we make such a big deal about worshiping God on the seventh day Sabbath? Why is the Sabbath the seal of God and Sunday the mark of the beast? When this message goes out, you know, what's the big deal about the Sabbath? Well, I've said this if you've listened to me before. It's pretty straightforward. The Sabbath is a sign that is the Lord who sanctifies us. Ezekiel 20, verses 12 and 20. The way you experience Sabbath on a weekly basis, once a week, is a demonstration of where your walk with God is throughout the week. So just let me give you an illustration. If you're watching TV six hours a day and having five minutes of worship, and you're consumed with the NFL playoffs or the Baseball World Series or the American idolatry or whatever you want to call it. 
when you go up to when when the Sabbath hours come and the pastor's preaching the sermon, you're going to be wondering if you, if you're still an Adventist that actually doesn't watch sports on Sabbath, oh, who won the game last night? And as soon as sundown comes, you're going to rush to your smartphone or your TV or whatever and, and say, oh, man, who won the game last night? Oh, good, they won. Whew. And you know what you were doing all Sabbath? Your, your heart was where it was all week long. Oh, you kept the Saturday Sabbath, so to speak, because you didn't watch the game or whatever. But in reality, your heart was there. So what you're... What's most precious and dear to you, that's what you're going to be thinking about on Sabbath. So if Jesus is the dearest thing to you in your life, as we talked about William Miller yesterday, the Savior was to him the chiefest among 10,000. Then on Sabbath, it's like you're going to be thinking about Jesus, you're going to be praising Jesus, you're going to go out and witness for Jesus, because Jesus is your best and dearest friend. That's why the Sabbath is the final test of loyalty. Um, but if you've learned to compromise step by step all along the way, when the final test comes, it's going to be like, oh, God understands. He's a God of grace. He's covered me in my life of sin all the way along, and he'll just keep doing so. Continuing. Here to, this is Great Controversy 605. Heretofore, those who have presented the truths of the third angel's message have often been regarded as mere alarmists. Their predictions that religious intolerance would gain control in the United States, that church and state would unite to persecute those who keep the commandments of God, have been pronounced groundless and absurd. Have you ever heard anyone say that? You know, when I was in residency, I was with fellow Seventh-day Adventists who would say, oh, there's no way that's ever going to happen. But you know, when it starts to happen, when we start to see these events take place, then the third angel's message is going to pick up, continuing the quote. It has been confidently declared that this land could never become other than what it has been, the defender of religious freedom. But as the question of enforcing Sunday observance is widely agitated, the event so long doubted and disbelieved is seen to be approaching, and the third message will produce an effect which it could not have had before. So as the Sunday message starts to become agitated, that's when our message will pick up steam and power. Now don't think that you can just wait till the Sunday message starts to be agitated before you give your life to Jesus, because if you're compromising now, you're going to compromise then. But when you've given your life fully to Jesus and you're consecrated now, when that issue comes to the forefront, you're going to be used by God to go out and give a message that warns the world that we've known all along that this thing is coming. And that day is coming. If you look, it's what, what's happening in the world. Now, this is a very important statement. Great Controversy 606. In every generation... God has sent his servants to rebuke sin both in the world and in the church. But the people desire smooth things spoken to them, and the pure, unvarnished truth is not acceptable. Isn't that statement being fulfilled before our very eyes and even in the Seventh-day Adventist church? Our people just want smooth things. Just tell me that Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Just tell me that his grace will cover me. Just tell me that he loves me. But don't talk to me about the sins of my life. But that's not the message of Scripture. In fact, let me read to you a passage from 2 Timothy chapter 3, starting in verse 1. This know also, that in the last days perilous times will, will come. What days? 
the last days, for men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God, and notice this, having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof from such turn away. Listen, this is not describing the world. This is describing God's church in the last days who have a form of godliness but deny its power and who love pleasure more than they love God. And because God's church in the last days loves pleasure more than it loves God, they want teachers or preachers who will come along and scratch their itching ears to tell them, you're just doing fine. It's okay if you love pleasure more than you love God. As long as you come to church and you at least make a profession of following Jesus, he'll just cover you with his grace and you can keep on right on doing whatever you're doing. Brothers and sisters, those messages are dangerous. And before Jesus comes back, God is going to raise up servants, just like he raised up Elijah, to rebuke sin not only in the world, but in the church. And you know, there needs to be some rebuking of sin in the church these days. I mean, when people are going against the clear straightforward teachings of scripture and they're trying to use culture as an excuse to push things on us like women's ordination and things of that nature look we need to rebuke that we need to stand up and preach the clear unvarnished truths of the word of god when people know the records of their favorite sports teams and the stats of their favorite players but they could hardly quote to you the ten commandments something's wrong with that picture when people dress more like Hollywood and when you come to church, it's more like a fashion show than it is a worship service, there's something wrong with that picture. That shouldn't be happening in the Seventh-day Adventist church. And God's going to raise up his servants to rebuke these sins. He's going to send in messengers to preach the pure, unvarnished truth as it is in Jesus. Now notice, many reformers in entering upon their work determined to exercise great prudence in attacking the sins of the, of the church and the nation. They hoped by the example of a pure Christian life to lead the people back to the doctrines of the Bible. But the Spirit of God came upon them as it came upon Elijah, moving him to rebuke the sins of a wicked king and an apostate people. They could not refrain from preaching the plain utterances of the Bible, doctrines which they had been reluctant to present. They were impelled to zealously declare the truth and the danger which threatened souls. The words which the Lord gave them, they uttered fearless of consequences, and the people were compelled to hear the warning. So we have examples in the past of Elijah and other messengers who gave gave the message fearless of consequences and they didn't worry what would happen to them. You know, too many times today, our messengers, our preachers, they worry, well, if I preach it too straight, I might not get a promotion to a bigger district or I might not get, you know, whatever. And we need to just rise up and say, you know what, it's time for Jesus to come. We love Jesus too much to be worried about the consequences and we're just going to preach the truth as it is in Jesus, to prepare a people to stand in the day of God. 
Thus the message of the third angel will be proclaimed. As the time comes for it to be given with greatest power, the Lord will work through humble instruments, leading the minds of those who consecrate themselves to his service. The laborers, laborers will be qualified rather by the action of his spirit than by the training of literary institutions. Men of faith and prayer will be constrained to go forth with holy zeal, declaring the words which God gives them. And she goes on. And I'm going to move ahead here. Great Controversy 608. As the storm approaches, this is Great Controversy 608. As the storm approaches, a large class who have professed faith in the third angel's message but have not been sanctified through obedience to the truth abandon their position and join the ranks of the opposition. So let me say this to you. If you're hearing the message that sanctification doesn't really matter or that it's not part of salvation, you better watch out because that's preparing you to receive the mark of the beast. Sanctification is a part of salvation for the last days. Those who are not sanctified are going to abandon the ranks of God's people in the last days. Now is not the time to be throwing away the teaching of sanctification in the church. Yes, it is a part of salvation. 2 Thessalonians 2.13, God has chosen you to salvation through sanctification of the Spirit and belief of the truth. And of course, sanctification is connected to the Sabbath message. Now, continuing the quote, it says, By uniting with the world and partaking of its spirit, they have come to view matters in nearly the same light. And when the test is brought, they are prepared to choose the easy popular side. Listen, if you're choosing the easy popular side all through your life, watch out. If you're, if you're training yourself to say, well, the Bible says this, but what everyone else is doing right now is this, so I'll just do what everyone else is doing, that's developing a mentality that's going to prepare you to receive the mark of the beast. We need to stand in the Bible and the Bible alone. As Ellen White says, God is looking for men who will stand for the right, though the heavens fall. Men of talent and pleasing address who once rejoiced in the truth employ their powers to deceive and mislead souls. They become the most bitter enemies of their former brethren. When Sabbath keepers are brought before the courts to answer for their faith, these apostates are the most efficient agents of Satan to misrepresent and accuse them and by false reports and insinuations to stir up the rulers against them. Brothers and sisters, you need to be praying for our preachers because Satan is going after our preachers right now. Men of talent and pleasing address, just because they're talented and have a good way of preaching, doesn't mean that they're going to stand through the final crisis. And you need to pray for every one of us here at GYC that's up front speaking, any, any of your pastors, leaders in the church, because Satan will go after any of us. And you can't follow any one man or any one person. You just simply have to follow the message, the truth as it is in Jesus. Don't be like people who say, well, I believe whatever Norman McNulty believes. And whatever Norman McNulty believes, that's what I believe. Please. That's ridiculous. Follow what the Bible teaches and the spirit of prophecy teaches. Believe the truth as it is in Jesus. Don't be a fan club of your favorite preacher. Come on. Be your own student of the word. Preachers are just up here to give you a message to lead you to the way of salvation. But if it just becomes like, oh, well, I'm a fan of so-and-so. Come on, Paul, Paul rebuked that where people said, I am of Paul or I am a Paul of Apollos. No, we're of Christ. Amen. 
in the interest of time, I think I'm going to skip this quote. And I'm going to go here. Great Controversy 6.11-6.12. The great work of the gospel is not to close with less manifestation of the power of God than marked its opening. The prophecies which were fulfilled in the outpouring of the former reign at the opening of the gospel are again to be fulfilled in the latter reign at its close. So listen, when the great work of the gospel began under the power of Pentecost, 3,000 were converted in a day when Peter preached. And, you know, we say, oh, well, we have more than that baptized in the Adventist church today. No, we're talking about one location under the power of the Holy Spirit. But the, the work of the gospel at the end of time is going to close with much greater power. And again, as we saw, Revelation 18.1, the earth is lightened with the glory of God, which is his character. God will only give his power to those who have his character. So if we keep holding on to cherished sins that we know we need to give up, God's not going to give us his power. He will give us his power when we surrender our lives to him. She talks about, here are the times of refreshing to which the apostle Peter looked forward when he said, repent ye therefore and be converted that your sins may be blotted out when the times of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord and he shall send Jesus. So the latter rain is poured out, the sins of God's people are blotted out and then Jesus will come back. And here's my last statement. Servants of God with their faces lighted up and shining with holy consecration will hasten from place to place to proclaim the message from heaven by thousands of voices all over the earth. The warning will be given. Miracles will be wrought, the sick will be healed, and signs and wonders will follow the believers. Satan also works with lying wonders, even bringing down fire from heaven in the sight of men. Thus the inhabitants of the earth will be brought to take their stand. And brothers and sisters, I am looking forward to the time when God's servants, with their faces lighted up with holy consecration, will hasten from place to place to proclaim the message from heaven. Listen, whatever you're doing right now is not as important as being part of that final closing work, of being one of God's servants who hastens from place to place to give the message of the righteousness of Christ and of the message that Babylon has fallen and the message of love and mercy to tell people to come out of her so that you won't receive of her plagues and that you won't be partakers of her sins. God doesn't want you to die. He wants you to come into the kingdom. That's why we are here. We are Seventh-day Adventists with a message to warn the world of the soon coming of Jesus. Now is not the time to try to become part of Babylon and to implement their methodologies and plans. You know, we need people and pastors who know, know more about Battle Creek than they do about Willow Creek. Come on now. We need to be Seventh-day Adventists and to be thankful and proud for the message that God has given to us. Now I'm going to turn the time over to Brian here now. He's going to talk about the time of trouble. And then tomorrow, we're going to, in the afternoon, we're going to have our closing challenge, looking at the big picture of the Great Controversy. So you'll want to come back for that as well. Well, good morning, everyone. I want to be able to stand. Do you? This uh, final part of our, our presentation this morning is uh, continuing with our, 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 our topic of standing through 
the final crisis. And that's taken from Scripture. It's taken from a couple of passages that some of you, hopefully all of you, are familiar with. In Malachi chapter 3, verse 2, there is a question that's asked. But who may abide the day of his coming, and who shall stand when he appeareth? For he is like a refiner's fire, and like fuller's soap. And that's a question that I think is so important. It also was asked, that question, in Revelation chapter 6, verse 17, uh, during the opening of the sixth seal. And all the mighty men and the kings of the earth ask the question and say, For the great day of his wrath is come, and who shall be able to stand? Those are questions asked in the last book in the Old Testament and the last book in the New Testament. Who can stand when he appeareth? And brothers and sisters, we've been given great light in the book, The Great Controversy. There is a chapter called The Time of Trouble, which is 21 pages of information that we need to know so that we can be prepared for this final crisis that is soon to break on the earth. Isn't The Great Controversy a wonderful book? It covers things of the past. It covers, we looked at yesterday, some present truth about being prepared to live and stand today in the, the times that we're living in. And then it also gives us a picture of things we need to know to be ready for his soon appearing. And I believe it's soon, right? Amen. Do you believe that this morning? And so there's no way I'll be able to cover all of the information in that chapter uh, this morning, but it's my intention to try and bring out the things that we need to know right now that will prepare us for the event when it happens. Things we can know today that will make a difference when the crisis comes. Daniel chapter 12, verse 1, very famous passage uh, among Adventists. It's, it tells us, And at that time shall Michael stand up, the great prince which standeth for the children of thy people. And there shall be what? A time of trouble such as never was since there was a nation, even to that same time. And at that time thy people shall be delivered. Everyone that shall be found written in the book. So Michael standing up will represent to us the time when his ministry in the heavenly sanctuary, which is happening right now in the most holy place, ceases and comes to an end. And that coincides with the statement in Revelation chapter 22, verse 11, where Jesus says, He that is unjust, let him be unjust still. And he which is filthy, let him be filthy still. And he that is righteous, may that be every single one of us here today. Let him be righteous still, and he that is holy, let him be holy still. That's Revelation 22, verse 11. Do not delay. Let's look and see what the great controversy reveals and, and makes clear to us that we need to know today. Sitting here at GYC, she says, Those who delay a preparation for the day of God cannot obtain it in the time of trouble or at any subsequent time. The case of all such is hopeless. When is our time to prepare, right? Right now? It is now. We cannot delay this. We must not delay. And this is a spiritual preparation. We're not advocating the, the prepper movement to go run out and get the best underground bunker dug out and the, the best store houses of, of food supplies. I once heard of a, of a gentleman in a church who had a, a, his trunk of his car was loaded with supplies and he was prepared for the time of trouble. So at a moment's notice, he could just flee to the hills and he had his physical preparations ready. 
And I think, you know, really our focus should be on spiritual preparation because the things of this earth, uh, those are not going to be substantial when, when we are attacked by uh, the things that, that happen at the time of the end. We need a spiritual preparation. We need a faith that can endure. Ellen White writes and says, The season of distress and anguish before us will require a faith that can endure weariness, delay, and hunger, a faith that will not faint, though severely tried. And now notice this carefully. The period of probation is granted to all to prepare for that time. Weariness, delay, when your prayers aren't answered immediately, when you're hungry and you, you have to have food immediately, can we, can we live without? Did our, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, face temptations and set a, a demonstration of what is possible through those who are connected to God that can endure delay, that can endure hunger, fasting for 40 days in the wilderness, and that can endure weariness? Brothers and sisters, now is the time for us to be exercising our faith. And we have a tremendous opportunity today with outreach to do that. Well, I wanted to just outline a few of, in fact, actually, there's a lot of things up here. These are all mentioned in this chapter, the great controversy of some of the events. And I, like I mentioned, my focus is not to just tell you about the events, but it's to be practical and, and, and realize what we need to know to be prepared. But let's just notice some of these things. God's people are going to be sealed. Jesus will cease his intercession in the heavenly sanctuary. And the close of probation, when it happens, it will be unknown to those living on the earth. Satan will have entire control over the impenitent. The forms of religion will be continued by the wicked. There will be a decree issued against those who keep the Sabbath. The people of God will be plunged into a time of trouble called Jacob's Trouble. Satan will stir up the wicked to destroy God's people. The Lord permits Satan to try his people to the uttermost. Are we prepared for this? The uttermost trial. Satan himself will personate Christ. God's people will flee and associate in companies. The seven last plagues will be uh, poured out upon the wicked and angels will protect the righteous. Those are just, that's just a snapshot picture of some of the events that will happen during the time of trouble. But we want to focus our attention on what we can do right now today to be prepared. Well, as my brother Norman mentioned earlier in his uh, part of our presentation, the Sabbath will be the special point of controversy. And notice what she says. This is uh, similar to what was stated earlier. Great Controversy, page 615. As the Sabbath has become the special point of controversy throughout Christendom, and religious and secular authorities have combined, that's a combining of church and state, to enforce the observance of the Sunday, the persistent refusal of a small minority to yield to the popular demand will make them objects of universal. That means everyone universally will, will hate them. Universal execration. Big word for third grade education. It will be urged that the few who stand in opposition to an institution of the church and a law of the state ought not to be tolerated. We cannot tolerate these people that refuse to yield to the combined forces and power of the churches and the political powers of this earth, that remain faithful and true to the God in heaven 
and his law of righteousness, the standard for all humanity. We recognize and follow that and believe in it and obey it. So as my brother Norman had pointed out, we need Sabbath reform. The Sabbath is much more. We're not going to be saved as Seventh-day Adventists just saying, oh, hey, guess what? There's a there's a quiz. Which day is the Sabbath? I know. I know it's Saturday. It's much more than that. And in fact, I want to just encourage with this thought. There's a chapter in the Great Controversy called A Work of Reform. Way better than I can say it. The whole chapter is about a, a revival and a reform of Sabbath keeping and what that truly means. And so I want to encourage you to read that. And maybe it would be a blessing to read that over the Sabbath hours that are coming shortly. But we need to understand the Sabbath more than just it's the right day to worship God, but what it means and its fullness as God has given it to us. Nothing undone. Practical advice for us today. We should leave nothing undone. And this relates to, uh, she's referring to Jacob and his experience and uh, the time of trouble re being referred to as Jacob's trouble. She says, this is Great Controversy 616, his, referring to Jacob's, his only hope was in the mercy of God. His only defense must be prayer, yet he leaves nothing undone on his own part to atone for the wrong to his brother and to avert the threatened danger. And now notice this. It's, Ellen White applies that to each one of us. So should the followers of Christ, as they approach the time of trouble, are we approaching the time of trouble? When she wrote these words over 100 years ago, is it nearer? Absolutely. We should make every exertion to place themselves, that's ourselves, in a proper light before the people to disarm prejudice and to avert the danger which threatens liberty of conscience. And I've oftentimes, as I've read this statement, wondered, what can I do? I happen to work at a Seventh-day Adventist boarding academy, and I'm surrounded by Adventist neighbors, uh, an Adventist community. What can I do, though, to my, my community at large to disarm people's prejudice, to let them know that we are not a, a cult hiding away from the rest of the world? You know, we're, we're called to be the salt of the earth and to be a blessing to the earth and to help others to know the precious truths that we have. So I think this is a very special work that we need to consider in each of our lives every day. A trial of faith. Notice this statement now, our faith and how important it is. As Satan accuses the people of God on account of their sins, the Lord permits him to try them to the uttermost. The uttermost trial, their confidence in God, their faith and firmness will be severely tested. Are we prepared for this? Is there more we can be doing to have our faith stronger and more solidly connected in our relationship with Jesus Christ? Uh, there's a statement that means much to me in Patriarchs and Prophets. Uh, in page, it's on page 431, paragraph 2. Short statement. Ellen White says, faith is the gift of God, but the power to exercise it is ours. Faith is the gift of God, Ephesians 2, 8, right? For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Grace and faith both are the gift of God. But faith is the gift of God, but the power to exercise it is ours. And so in my prayers to God, I, I, I've, I've asked him, Lord, don't increase my faith so much as help me to exercise the faith that you've already given to me. Help me to exercise the faith you have given to me. 
to every man a measure of faith has been given, and it's up to us to choose to exercise it. As we choose to exercise it, just as in the, the physical world, when we exercise our muscles and work out, so in the spiritual world, Ellen White connects those two in some places, it will be the same result. Our faith spiritually will grow stronger. This is a similar slide. Uh, you can see people praying here. A steadfast faith. Ellen White writes and says, this is during the time of trouble, they afflict their souls before God, pointing to their past repentance of their many sins and pleading the Savior's promise. Let him take hold of my strength that he may make peace with me and he shall make peace with me. And she's quoting Isaiah 27, 5, that we can make peace with God and grab hold of his strength. I love that verse. Their faith does not fail because their prayers are not immediately answered. Though suffering the keenest anxiety, terror, and distress, they do not cease their intercessions. Unceasing prayer, a steadfast faith. We need to cultivate and develop these traits even now as we prepare for this crisis. Confess our sins now. You know, confession is, is very personal. In our personal relationship with God, do we... We know we should confess sins. We have sins and we know God will forgive them. But do we specifically confess our sins? Notice the importance of this. Ellen White writes and says, So in the time of trouble, if the people of God had unconfessed sins to appear before them while tortured with fear and anguish, they would be overwhelmed. If they had sins they had not confessed, they would be overwhelmed. Despair would cut off their faith. And they could not have confidence to plead with God for deliverance. So, I don't know about you guys, but I am praying, Lord, call to my attention, call to my, my memory sins that I have committed that stand unconfessed before you. I want to stand before you in a right relationship. I want you to be able to place your seal in my forehead. Have nothing in between me and you. Please, Lord, help me to know what I need to do to confess things that I have done in the past. All who endeavor to excuse or conceal their sins and permit them to remain upon the books of heaven, unconfessed and unforgiven, will be overcome by Satan. That's bottom line right there. That's bottom line. We, we have a Savior, and we know, 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. I also connect with that. I, I like Proverbs 28, 13. Uh, which tells us, He that covereth his sins shall not prosper, but whoso confesseth and forsaketh them shall have what? Mercy. Don't cover my sins, but confess them and ask the Lord to forgive them. It's not enough just to know he will forgive them. I must ask for that forgiveness. It must be deliberate. It must be specific. It must be intentional. This is serious. Earthliness must be consumed. Uh, I tried to figure out, you know, I tried to put some pictures up here to, you know, kind of capture some of the ideas that are mentioned in some of these passages. And this is a picture of, of iron being poured into some ingots, I believe, here. And this is what is important, preparation that we need even now. God's love for his children during the period of their severest trial is as strong and tender as in the days of their sunniest prosperity. 
Here's why this is happening, though. This is a, a meaningful slide to me, a meaningful statement, because it explains the, 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 the reason for this crisis called the time of trouble. But it is needful for them, that's you and I, to be placed in the furnace of fire. Their earthliness must be consumed. What is earthliness? Being like the earth. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. Our earthliness, the, our connections with this earth and the, the, the distractions and the, the, the sinfulness of this earth, it must be consumed. And the trials we go through will cause that to happen. What will be the result? So that the image of Christ may be perfectly reflected in us. So I'll tell you what I'm praying right now. I'll, I'll give you, uh, this is personal information. I'm praying that God will begin right now today, and I've been praying this already in the past, to remove earthliness in my life that will begin to prepare me even more for that time of trouble. Can that process begin right now? Even now, today, I hope and pray, yes, the answer is, it is possible. So should we be putting away things that connect us to this earth, that do not help us to keep our focus where it should be on Jesus Christ? So will you join with me? Will you raise your hand and join with me today that you will ask God to help you Purify yourself from the things of this earth. I hope that is your prayer as well as mine. Something else that we uh, need to be doing. Practical advice for us today. Wrestling with God. Ellen White says that Jacob prevailed because he was persevering and determined. And his victory is an evidence of the power of importunate prayer. This lady is awesome. Third grade education. Importunate means unceasing and unwavering, if, if you didn't know what that word was. Impor unceasing prayer, that's what the, uh, his victory is an evidence of. All who will lay hold of God's promises. Where can we find God's promises? In his word. All who will lay hold of God's promises as he did and be as earnest and persevering as he was will succeed as he succeeded. And now here's the wake-up call. Those who are unwilling to deny self, to agonize before God, to pray long and earnestly for his blessing, will not obtain it. I probably should repeat that because that's a life or death sentence. Those who are unwilling to deny self, to agonize before God, to pray long and earnestly for his blessing, that we might have a right standing with him, will not obtain it. Wrestling with God, she says, how few know what it is. And, and I'm with you. I ask myself the question, Lord, do I know what it really means to wrestle with you and plead with you for your salvation to, to apply to me, to be effective in my life, to be fully realized by me, this sinful mortal? You have the power, but have I fully surrendered into your hands? We must lay hold of God's promises and this is, you know, this reminds me of uh, this, this uh, statement of the parable of the unjust judge in Luke 18. The woman who kept, you know, persistently asking the unjust judge to, to give her, you know, justice. And, and Jesus says that he taught this to his disciples that they might always pray without ceasing and never give up. Jesus himself says the point of the parable is to pray without ceasing. And that is what she uh, kind of mentions, I think, there with wrestling with God. All right, my young friends and older friends, 
This is serious. We're called to dispense with selfish gratifications. I put up a, a picture here of, of just a, a smorgasbord of media and things that all of us probably have, are at times maybe have spent too much time, even if it's YouTube. She says, we should now acquaint ourselves with God by proving his promises. Angels record every prayer that is earnest and sincere. Before men and angels, they record every prayer that is earnest and sincere. Now, here's the counsel. We should rather dispense with selfish gratifications than neglect communion with God. That is intensely practical to me. Dispense with selfish gratifications. We all let the Spirit search your hearts even now as to what things you might need to, to, to put away that will help you to have a closer connection with God. I pray that I'm willing to make that, that surrender, that full surrender, and, and dispense with selfish gratifications. Several years ago, I chose to delete my Facebook and Twitter accounts. I'm actually a very social person. I love talking to people, and I love socializing, but it was getting to the point where I would rather wake up in the morning and see what people were saying on Facebook than what my Heavenly Father was texting me in His Word. And... So I know there's many, I'm not saying that it's wrong or bad. Many people, uh, it's a great way to communicate. It's not inherently evil, but it can lead to things that take away from what's most important. And so I had to, uh, to dispense with that. And I just pray that we'll be willing to do whatever is necessary to have a right connection with God. Listen, he says our earthliness, or she writes rather, God writes through her, our earthliness must be consumed. So... I heard a powerful uh, statement from a pastor many years ago uh, about how you can, you can kind of determine what your values in life are. And I'll share it with you. It's simple for free. Think about this. What do you spend the most time doing when you have free time? When you're not eating and you're not sleeping and you're not doing schoolwork if you're a student or your full-time job if you're employed at, at whatever your job is. Set those aside. When it's your time, what do you spend the most time doing? Whatever, that, whatever your answer is to that question, that's what you automatically value the most. You care the most about how you spend your time. You can't hide from that fact to me, and I noticed in my own experience, it was not spending time in His Word. And so I tried to, and I, with the Lord's help, surrender those things that were a distraction and a hindrance to my spiritual connection with God. So I pray that you will take that simple test what do you spend the most time doing? Because that's where you're placing your value. You're putting it there by your time. All right, our time is getting late. Uh, this is important. I'm not going to have much time to preach about it, even though I'm not a preacher. I'm just a little high school teacher. We should be seeking perfection in Christ. Why has that word perfection become a bad word in Seventh-day Advent, Ad, in our Adventist church? Perfection. Is it possible? Was Jesus perfect? Is, is there any sin that he can't help you overcome? Is there any sin that he can't give you the power to keep from committing? Well, then why don't we put it all together and, and, and realize he desires for us to have perfection? Notice this statement. Now, while our great high priest is making the atonement for us, we should seek to become perfect in Christ. I'm glad that's the standard. Perfection in Christ. The highest possible standard. I don't want a low standard. I want a high standard. Perfection in Christ. Not even by a thought could our Savior be brought to yield to the power of temptation. 
This is the condition in which those must be found who shall stand in the time of trouble. I think it's pretty plain. Is it possible? Do you think so? Are you with me this morning? It is possible. It is possible. Jesus said in Matthew 5, 48, Be ye therefore perfect, even as your Father which is in heaven is perfect. I believe he meant what he said. Be ye perfect. John tells us in 1 John 3, 6, Whosoever abideth in him, that is in Jesus, sinneth not. Let us therefore banish all doubts that Jesus can't create a perfect heart and a perfect mind in each one of us. And notice the 144,000. Revelation 14, verses 4 and 5, they are without fault before the throne of God. I want to stand without fault before the throne of God, not by my own works or doing, but by the precious salvation and the power and grace of Jesus Christ. Preparation time is now. Uh, we just had final exams, if you're a student, uh, at my school, and uh, thought that might be appropriate. I've got some students here, this is not my school, by the way, uh, taking final exams. The preparation time is now. Notice this statement. Only those who have been diligent students of the scriptures, students studying, always a student, and who have received the love of the truth will be shielded from the powerful delusion that takes the world captive. By the Bible testimony, these will detect the deceiver in his disguise. To all the testing time will come. Everybody, none of us are going to skip this test. To all of us, this test will come. Satan will, if possible, prevent them from obtaining a preparation to stand in that day. Do not let him hinder you. Do not let him prevent you from being prepared. As Paul says in 2 Corinthians 2.11, we are not ignorant of his devices. If you missed yesterday, I went over, a, a, there's a chapter in the Great Controversy on the devices or snares of Satan. Uh, you might want to check that out or just read it in the book. Do not let Satan prevent you from being prepared for the testing time because it will come. Glorious deliverance. We have to end on a, a positive note. Let's keep our eyes fixed on our Savior. Glorious will be the deliverance, she writes, of those who have patiently waited for his coming and whose names are written in the book of life. And this reminds me of uh, Isaiah 25, verse 9, which tells us, I love these words. Isaiah 25, verse 9, And it shall be said in that day, Lo, this is our God. We have waited for him, and he will save us. This is our God. We have waited for him and he will save us. This is the Lord. We have waited for him. We will be glad and rejoice in his salvation. Let us keep our eyes fixed on Jesus and we cannot fail if we will trust him and begin even now that preparation to stand through the time of trouble. I'll close with this slide here. This is a, a, a comprehensive look at the things that I try to present today for our preparation in the time of trouble. If any of you want uh, this presentation, if you weren't here at our earlier ones, um, you're welcome to come up and sign up on an email list. I'll give you everything that I have, if it's helpful to someone, even one person, to God be the glory. But it says here that we cannot delay the preparation. The time of trouble is represented by Jacob's night of anguish. We should exert to place ourselves in the proper light before the people. With humiliation and repentance and self-surrender, we should be practicing and cultivating these character traits now. We should, we should uh, exercise confidence in God and our faith and firmness 
will be severely tested. We should make sure that every sin is repented of. We should even now afflict our souls before God. Our earthliness must be consumed. I don't want to be like the earth anymore. I'm tired of being like the earth. Faith, we need a faith that can endure weariness, delay, and hunger. We need to practice importunate, unceasing prayer. We need to exercise faith, hope, and patience. We need to dispense with selfish gratifications. We know what they are. We need to allow the Lord to bring those to our attention and put those away. We need to seek to become perfect in Christ. This is my goal in prayer. I hope you will join me in that. We need to be diligent students of, script, of the scriptures and receive the love of the truth. And then I didn't put a slide up uh, specifically stating this, but Ellen White says that Jesus will send help just when we need it the most. He will send help, but we must not uh, give up with our prayers. We must not let go of our hold of our faith on Jesus Christ. If you are desirous and would like to join me in committing to preparing for this time and standing for that, I'd like to invite you to stand for a closing prayer at this time. Our Father and our God, Lord, these are serious, serious times that we live in, and we have serious uh, uh, a test coming ahead of us. But Lord, it's so that we can be on an eternal, secure basis um, with our, our faith and our belief and our confidence in, in Jesus and in his word. And we'll never, ever be tempted to doubt your, your character. We'll never be tempted to sin. And the universe will be eternally secure forever. Lord, let us not lose hold of our faith. Let us be strong. Let us have a, a new zeal and a new effort to prepare, even now today, for that, that time of trouble so that we can be faithful to you because we love you and we are thankful that you have made it possible for each one of us to be saved. Lord, send your spirit to make this possible because we cannot do this in our own strength, but we surrender all of ourselves and all of our lives into your hand. Before men and angels, I offer this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. They wanted me to remind you, make sure to go to the main seminar hall for preparing for the outreach uh, training. So please make sure to, uh, to go to the main seminar hall and prepare uh, for outreach uh, later in just, just a few moments. Thank you for being here, and we'll hopefully see you on uh, Sabbath afternoon. God bless you. This message was recorded by Fountain View Productions for GYC. GYC, a supporting ministry of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, seeks to inspire and equip young people to be vibrant, Bible-based, and Christ-centered Christians. To download or purchase other resources like this, please visit us online at www.gycweb.org.